right. Hey, uh, very grateful for uh, the Myers and them sharing, uh, being very authentic, very transparent, and sharing uh, kind of where they are right now. You continue to pray for them, but very grateful again for their authenticity and saying this is the journey that we're on right now. And I also want to say thank you. Uh, at every Last week, uh, at all the different locations, you all turned in uh, thousands and thousands of these little cards, all right? And these little cards, although it doesn't look, it just doesn't look like that significant. What you did is you uh, turned in. This is the thing that over the next 21 days, I'm going to pray. I'm going to commit to pray every single day for. I'm going to cry out to God that God would do this. And you guys turned them in just about a thousands and thousands. And uh, every campus prayed over those, uh, not only just this week, but will in the next two weeks as well. If you uh, missed last week or were not able to, feel free to get one of these cards in the lobby uh, and you can hand it off to any, really pretty much any volunteer in the lobby, particularly uh, Next Steps. And it's a simple little card that just says the biggest thing that I'm praying for in the next 21 days is, and you can be transparent or you can be surfacy if you want to. You guys took it very you took it very honestly when you were transparent. Um, again, these will be confidential in the sense that they're not, we're not going to put a picture of these on or if you name somebody by name, we're not going to na- put the name out on Facebook or anything like that. But what we are doing is we want to pray f- pray with you uh, about that. And it ran the gamut uh, this week. I was actually, it was, it, it's, it's actually very emotional just looking through them. When you look through them, actually the pain uh, that just comes forth, that can come forth in half of a sentence uh, is amazing. All right? um, since there were numerous ones of these, this will not break any kind of confidence, but just a quick smattering of the ones that you turned in. Everything from, uh, God, we've been married uh, for a long time and we're infertile. God, would you please take away the infertility uh, and let us have a baby to, uh, would you heal this broken body that I have? Would you... There was numerous ones about addiction, not just a personal addiction, but also addiction of somebody in their family. My husband's addiction, my wife's addiction, my son's addiction. That ran the gamut. Uh, Obviously, tons. God, would you restore our marriage? Our marriage is just absolutely uh, in in, in, uh, wasteland right now. Would you... Would you uh, heal that? Would you bring, uh, bring that back to flourishing to uh, prodigal daughters and prodigal sons and prodigal grandchildren, to uh, families that were estranged, brothers that you hadn't talked to in forever, to uh, sisters and even sons and daughters, some of which it's been months, if not years. So um, obviously some of them were the salvation of a loved one. So others of them were very specific, but you could even sense the desperation there. Just like, please, God, please help this property to sell. We've got to have this property sell in the next six months or we don't know what is going to, to go on. And one of the things that uh, we know from the scriptures is when you face some difficulty and some pain, uh, particularly if it's intense, is it is going to push you into something one way or the other. It's either going to push you forward uh, with God or it's going to push you back away from God. Uh, C.S. Lewis, who we talk about all the time, and he's sort of a giant of the faith, and God used him extensively. Uh, This one you probably hadn't uh, read in any uh, favorite C.S. Lewis quote, uh, daily bread pages, but he lost his wife to a very painful bout of cancer, and here's what he wrote in one of them. He said, and I'll just quote it as he says it. He said, I can't understand why God is always there when things are going well, telling you what he expects of you. But go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is in vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face, a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. After that, silence. You may as well just turn away. The longer you wait, the more emphatic the silence will become. 
And that actually, that quote was not before C.S. Lewis became a Christ follower. That was a number of years after he became a Christ follower. Now understand, as desperate as that is, this, he, his faith ultimately did get strengthened by it, but he articulated what a lot of us actually feel. And some of you are actually going, I can't talk to God like that. I mean, that was so disrespectful. That was so emphatic. That was like, you can, you, where's the lightning bolt? It's going to strike him right now. I can't talk to God like that. And yet what you see is honesty and what you see is transparency. And it's about how do you talk to God in your pain? And I would just submit to you this. What C.S. Lewis said is not a new struggle. It is not new questions. And nor is it a place that where God is shocked and falls off of his throne when his giants actually talk to him like that. A quick smattering Job said this, why do you hide your face and count me as your enemy? Habakkuk said this, he said, God, how long will I cry for help and you not listen to my voice or cry to you violence because there was all this violence going on and you will not save? Or one of my personal favorites, Jeremiah 20, halfway through the book, Jeremiah, one of the greatest prophets of all Halfway through his book, when he was going through intense pain, he looks up at God, and in about a span of six verses, he just unloads on God. And the tip of that was, he said in verse seven, oh Lord, you have deceived me. You deceived me, you tricked me, and I was deceived. Cursed be the day that I was born. Cursed be the man that brought news that I was born. And uh, Jesus himself, when he's hanging on the cross and he was taking the sin dead of the world, all the gossip, all the lust, all the horrific sin of you and I, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? And so this is not an exception that we're gonna look at today. This is more in line of the rule that you see when God's people go through pain. How do I talk and how do I pray when the pain is intense? So the Psalm today the psalm today is about how to pray in your pain. Now, uh, listen to me, loved ones. Here's, here's the idea. The Lord's Prayer tells us what to pray. It tells us what to pray, or at least not the words, but the, it gives us a structure to pray. The Lord is uh, our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. That's the Lord's Prayer. It tells us the elements of prayer. But the book of Psalms tells us not what to pray, but it tells us how to pray. Because every situation in the human experience, you will find in the book of Psalms. You will find rejoicing, you will find celebration, that you will find confidence, but you will also find pain, you will also find confusion, and you will also find despair. And so we're looking at a psalm today that actually is in a category of the book of Psalms called Psalms of, Psalms of Lament. Psalms of Lament. It, it's the idea of cries of distress, cries of despair. Now, unlike last week, we don't know the background of this psalm. How do you get a clean conscience? It gave us in Psalm 51. How do we do that? We don't know the background here. We don't know what was causing the despair and the darkness and the discouragement that David had. We don't know that, which I love because what it does is it allows us to personalize the psalm to the pain that you are experiencing. It's like, you know what? That's not just that one circumstance. That's your pain, marital or financial or whatever it might be. And so I want you to ask this question as we walk through the text. How do you personally take your pain to the Lord? I'm going to ask you to do that at the end of the service today. I'm going to ask you to physically take your pain to the Lord. 
For a lot of us, it's going to be that 21-day card that we did, that 21 days. This is what I'm praying for. This is what I'm crying out to God for. So let's look at the text here. It's a short psalm, but you'll see the pain. You'll see the darkness. You'll see the despair in our man David's life. And here's what he says. He says, how long, O Lord? I mean, that's the way it starts off. We don't know how long whatever it was was going on, but it was a long time. How long will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Now, he's not saying that God actually was hiding his face from him. He said, I feel like you're hiding your face from me. I felt like that before. Anybody with a scintilla of honesty that's walked with the Lord for any length of time, there is a time where that is the way you feel. God, you're acting in a way I didn't expect you to act, or you're not acting in a way that I expected you to act. How long is this gonna go on? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? This is consuming him. This is not a flat tire. This is not a parking ticket. This is something that is dominating his life, and all throughout the day, he can hardly think of anything else but what this is. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, Lord. He kind of goes from the complaint to the prayer request, and then he goes to the confidence at the end. Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes. Light up my eyes. Give me strength. Help me to see what's going on. Lest I sleep the sleep of death. Verse four, lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I'm shaken. And he was shaken. He was shaken. In some ways, he's actually calling on the character of God. God, don't let me make you look bad, but I'm about to do that. And here's verse five, two more verses. Here's the confidence. This is where we, sometimes we think grief and despair cannot go alongside and live alongside hope, and they absolutely can. Grief and despair can live in the same life, in the same time period as hope and faith do. But I have trusted, I have trusted. This is a statement of choice. You have a choice today, just like I do. Am I gonna trust God with whatever this is? But I have trusted in your steadfast love. Same word from last week. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. And then last verse. And I will sing to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully. He has rewarded me. As I look back over my life, I know that God is good. He is good. He's good all the time. And I actually have a track record in which I've seen that. So I'm going to jump right into it. What do you do? How do you pray? How are we going to pray at the end of the service? How are we going to pray? How do you pray when you have pain? Now, I understand some of us, the, it's right up top. You're at a 10 right now. 10 in desperation. I don't even have to talk you into praying. You know why? Because you understand prayer and crying out to God is not a matter of discipline. It is a matter of desperation. That's what you're here for. You're like, God, you've got to do that. I don't even have to talk you into it. The rest of us, it's sometimes God sometimes will use trouble because we all can get a little cocky at times. And sometimes trouble is God's servant into our lives to remind us of how dependent we actually are. The illusion of control oftentimes falls away so you and I can realize, you know what, how dependent I am on God. And so here's the first thing I want you to just put out in front of you is whatever that is, be honest with God about your pain. Be honest with him. Be honest with God about whatever it is. You don't have to pray in the KJV. You don't have to say everything's awesome. You be honest with God about your 
pain. Now, again, we don't know the specifics, but we do know some characteristics about this. We do know it was severe. We know it's severe. As I said, it's not about a flat tire or parking ticket, but this is about pain. Severe things are like a marriage that is dissolved. It's like a health situation that's not getting any better. It's like a job that went away. It's like the security that got ripped out from under you. It's like a granddaughter who is away from the Lord. It's like a lost husband that has no interest in the Lord. That is the pain. Those are the serious things. So we know it was severe. You also can tell from the text it was chronic. It was there for a while. He's like, how long, O oh Lord, how long? Have you uh, found out that uh, I, I would say that dealing with pain is so much easier if I know when the pain is going to conclude? Have you found that? If I know that this trial is gonna be done by Friday, I can hold on till Friday. If I know that's the conclusion, I can just hold on and just pull myself up and make it to Friday. But if I don't know when that's going to end, if there is no end in sight, then despair and discouragement easily set in. And I can say, how long, God, how long? And he's, he's exasperated. How long is this gonna happen? He's frustrated. Why haven't you moved? And he's, it's confusing. It's very, very confusing for David. He's like, will you hide your face from me? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face? Now, here's what happened. David is crying out to God, and he feels God is playing hide and seek with him, and he can't find him at all. Listen, this is not some JV Christian. This is not some fourth string tied in in God's family. This is David. It's hard to exactly know the chronological order of the book of Psalms and when the Psalms were written and the experience behind the Psalms, but it's pretty safe to say, and virtually every scholar said, this is not the first psalm. This is not the first psalm. So what that means is, this is the same guy that wrote all these psalms of confidence and faith. It's a good chance, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. It's that guy, but he, now he's saying, God, you hid your face from me. I'm praying and you don't hear me. I'm crying out to you and it's like you're not even there anymore at all. And so... uh you basically got three options when this happens. I actually think it's a wrong statement when people say, God has never disappointed me. God's never disappointed me. Ultimately, that is a true statement. But on the short end of it, because of our limited view because of our fleshly nature, because we're not omnipotent. There's been some stuff God did on the front end I was extremely disappointed with. God, why didn't you do this? These are your people. All these different things. Obviously, David is not going, well, you haven't disappointed me. He's like, God, you shocked me. I prayed and you didn't answer. I cried out and it didn't seem like you were anywhere at all. And so basically, you've got a couple different ways you can do this. Number one, you can run away. As I said, when you go through this kind of pain, it either pushes you to God or it pushes you away from God. Stories are countless over people. When they go through pain, they can't figure it out. It's like, okay, I can't figure this stuff out, so I'm just gonna run away from God. It's last couple of weeks, we've actually seen some young uh, Christian pseudo leaders. It's like, you know what? I can't figure out some stuff. I can't figure out some pain. I can't figure out my theology and my action are not meshing up, so I'm just abandoning the faith. They're not the first to do that. Probably the one you might have heard of, I've mentioned it a couple of times before, but the one that to me strikes at the heart of it the most is actually Ted Turner of CNN. And 
TBS fame. I don't know if you know the background on this. He, uh, he became an atheist, an outspoken atheist in his 20s, but he kind of walked that back a little bit later on. But I don't know if you know this, but he was actually very religious when he was growing up. He was in his youth group. He actually told somebody, he said, I plan and I want to be a missionary. When he was 15, his younger sister, Mary Jane, she was 12, she contracted lupus. She was racked with pain. She was vomiting all the time. Her screams would fill the house. Ted would come home, would hold her hand, try to comfort her. He prayed that she would recover. She, he prayed that the disease would go away. And after years, years of misery, she succumbed to the illness. Turner says, I was taught that God was love and God was powerful, and I can't understand how someone so innocent should be made or allowed to suffer so. In 1963, in the heels of the daughter's death, Ted Turner's dad, Ed, stricken with grief, takes a gun, goes upstairs, takes his own life. That was like the final straw for Turner because after that, it said, you know what? If that's the type of God he is, I want nothing to do with him. I want nothing to do with him. Let my sister die. Let my dad kill himself. I don't want anything to do. Pain is gonna push you either away from God or toward God. So sometimes just run away. Others of you, which is almost as bad, almost as bad as you just, you never even ask the hard questions. You just kind of ignore the fact that it's even there. You don't actually ask the hard questions of your faith. You don't ask those things a lot of times because you're scared of what the answer will be. Listen, don't be scared to ask the hard questions. An honest doubter, God will go to great lengths to actually answer. When I say an honest doubter, somebody who actually wants to know the answers, even if I'm not gonna be completely able to understand it, I'm gonna seek the answers, all right? And so what you see is if you don't wrestle with that, if you don't struggle with that, if you just compartmentalize it and say, I'm not gonna deal with my, you know, my parents and their death and they didn't know the Lord, or if I don't wrestle with it, what you end up with is a superficial faith that when the pain comes to your life and when the pain gets intense, you have nothing that you've actually gone through. So go ahead and ask the hard questions. And that's what the last thing you can do is you just kind of press into what the pain is. You press in and that's what David does. David says, consider and answer me. He's vocalizing something, loved ones. He's vocalizing the fact that, you know what? Openly and honestly, I need you to answer me. If you don't answer me, if I don't have some light shed on me, I'm gonna die. My enemies are gonna exalt over me. I've got to have something there. Charles Spurgeon said that doubt is a foot poised to go forward or backwards in your faith. Let me say it again. Spurgeon said doubt is like a foot poised either to go forward or to go backwards in your faith. And what David is doing right now is he is taking a step forward. He's saying, consider and answer me. He's not running away, he's just pressing into God and crying out to God, how long will the enemy be exalted? I can't make it without you. I mean, I wrote down one statement that I needed to hear this week. Really good praying doesn't come from the mind alone. Listen to me, really good praying. Now there's 10 different types of prayers you see in the Bible. 
You see quick prayers, you see long prayers, you see eloquent prayers, you see cries out to God, but what you see also in the Bible repeatedly is really, really effective prayer, really, really good prayer is not just a mental prayer, it's a heartfelt prayer. It's a fervent prayer, Jesus' half-brother James would say. A fervent prayer, real prayer is not just from the head, it's from the heart. That's why he said it's not about you being disciplined. It's about you being desperate. I've found that rarely do people pray because they, they should. I just don't find that that often. I think the statistics bear that out. Well, I should pray, I should pray, I should pray. People don't typically pray that much or pray that long or pray that fervently when somebody just says, you ought to pray, and I feel bad because I'm not praying. When we pray, it's not just when we ought to pray, it's when we need to pray. Talk to the parents who've got a son over in a war zone. You don't have to talk them into praying. Man, they're praying every day for their son. They're asking you to pray for their son, all right? Ask the person who just got the cancer diagnosis. You don't have to talk them into praying. They pray. They cry out to God. They ask their connect group, please pray. Why? Because it's not mental. It is a heartfelt, desperate, honest, humble prayer. And I don't know exactly how this works, but I do see this repeatedly in the Bible. A desperate, humble, heartfelt, fervent, dependent prayer is almost like a magnet to God. It's almost like a magnet. It's almost like he cannot resist somebody crying out to God humbly and honestly and admitting how desperately they actually need him. I just keep thinking when you have little kids, remember what they do. Remember, they say, help you. They just put their hands up. And what God's saying is, when you put your hands up, that's a sign of desperation. I can't do it. I can't do it. And so when you say, I can't do it, when your little daughter, your little son, your little granddaughter puts her hand up, it's like, help me. Help you. What do you do? I'm not a dad in here that's going to walk away. Every dad, every mom, every grandmom is gonna like, of course I will and I will pull you up. And so that's what you see here and he is calling out, he is crying out and it's like, listen, and he says it over and over again, I'll help you, I really will. When you're ready to throw up your hands, throw them up to me. And I told you a few years ago, when you look in the Bible, you see a little difference. When it says, I said to the Lord, is a little different than words that you see that say cry out or, or call call or cry out in the Bible, it's a, it's, a, it's a sense of emotive, fervent, desperate prayer. It's been remarked that the best style of prayer is that which cannot be called anything other than a, than a cry. We treat prayer, we treat prayer like the last kid picked on the dodgeball team. I mean, it's like we get to the thing and we've done every possible thing and we have no more answer like well I guess all we can do now is just pray how about the first thing I got to do is pray I got to go talk to my dad about this situation because if he doesn't move I don't care what I do it's not going to happen at all and so here's what you got to understand especially as a Christ follower if you're a Christ follower you got to understand even though in this text what you see is your face is hidden from me You've turned away from me. If you're a Christ follower, you gotta pray a gospel prayer of pain. What you can say with confidence is, okay, Jesus was rejected in my place, so I'm not gonna be rejected when I come to the Father. Okay? Jesus was abandoned on the cross so that I will never be abandoned. When he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because Jesus was forsaken on the cross, I can say with confidence, God's not gonna forsake me. 
And so why it might feel like his face is away and I can't hear him at all, that's not biblically accurate. Even when I can't hear him, he hears me. Even when all I can do is get a groan out, when all you can do is cry, when all you can do is say something that's inaudible, God hears. Listen to me. Your confidence today is not in your ability to hear God. It's in his willingness to hear you. You gotta get that. That God hears, God is listening. God does not sit there and go, I'm busy right now. So the first thing I'm gonna ask you to just kind of put in your, we're gonna do it in a minute, but honestly, I gotta honestly bring this, th- what's Peter say? First Peter five, verse seven, it says what? Cast all your anxiety upon the Lord. Why? Because he cares for you, cares for you. He hears from you. He wants to hear from you. So how do we do it? How does that work, okay? So part of that is I gotta trust God with your pain. Not just be honest to God about your pain, but I'm gonna have to some degree trust because you don't know when the prayer is actually gonna get answered. You don't know when the husband is gonna come back in the door. You don't know when the prodigal is gonna return. You don't know when the doctor's report is gonna be great. You don't know when the job offer is gonna come. You don't know when that's gonna happen. And so until that time, he's like, I gotta trust the Lord. I have to make a choice. I'm gonna trust the Lord in my pain. You kind of see it all over here. Verse five says, but I have trusted in you. Trust in the Bible is the same, virtually the same as faith in the New Testament. And as I said earlier, a faith can rest alongside the same life that is grieving. Hope can rest alongside the same life that is in despair and discouragement. They can rest together. They're not mutually exclusive from each other. You can be here, and we're not talking about some of this stuff. Sometimes Christians get very syrupy and unbiblical about what faith is, all right? What faith is. Faith is not stoicism. Man, I, I just, I needed to hear that. I didn't really get that for years, still don't get it great. Faith in God is not some stoic look that you never grieve and you never cry and you never get upset and you're never confused. That's not faith, all right? You don't believe that. I mean, look, read the book of Job one time. The book of Job, he's a tremendous angst in there and yet one of the greatest statements of faith, even after all that, he says, I know that my redeemer lives. So faith and despair all in the same person. You think Jesus was stoic? Okay. You think when you look at the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus is like, my God, or he's like, not my will, not my will, not my will, but yours be done. He's like pouring his heart out to God. So we're not talking about you having a stiff upper lip. We're not talking about you being self-dependent and you having all your stuff together. It's not just you enduring either. This is really important. You got to understand this. It's not just enduring through the pain. A lot of times we're like, well, I know I don't understand now, but I'm gonna see it soon. I'm gonna see it soon. Now that is true and it's not true. You don't really know yet. Now most of us in here, we probably have had that good experience before where a painful time happens, something happens and you do get to see it. I mean, some of you have seen how God has used some pain in your life for good. You went through a divorce that, and it taught you to depend on God because you weren't depending on God before that and the divorce taught you how to depend on God. Uh, a death in your family, it refocused your faith back on God. Uh, you lost a job and you were married to the corporation and the lost job woke you up out of your life of materialism. So sometimes you, sometimes you do. But sometimes you're like, I don't see any good coming out of this at all. And sometimes you, 
Sometimes you see no good coming out of this at all. Like I can't see it and I don't know if I ever will. And just understand, you might not see all the different things, at least not in this life, you might not see it all the time. But do you understand that there might be 10,000 things God is doing in your life and you might have the privilege to see like three of them? He's like doing 10,000 things over there and you get like three of them. You just get a few. That's so fast. Let me, let me ask you this. Because um, just because you can't see it doesn't mean that it isn't happening. So here's what I'll just say. Is a, if I ask you, is there an elephant in the auditorium that you're sitting in right now? Is there an elephant in the auditorium that you're sitting in right now? You can, with a reasonable amount of confidence, say, you know what, if I can't see an elephant in the auditorium, it's reasonable to conclude that there's not an elephant in the auditorium that you're sitting in. But if I say, are are there any lice in the building that you are sitting in? You might take a quick look around and say, you know, no, just because you can't see one, but that would not be unwarranted, that would be unwarranted confidence, all right? The person right in front of you could have a head full of lice and you not see it. Now, a quick warning, the next person to scratch their head is probably gonna, probably gonna be frowned upon. Whole point would be this. Whole point would be this. The point is understanding all the purposes of an all-wise, almighty, all-powerful, all-good God is more like you trying to locate that stuff, locate some lice than it is you trying to spot an elephant. And you go like, I don't see it, I don't see it, I don't see it, I don't see it, but I can trust you. Let me give you a couple of things to hold on to and then we're gonna pray. Okay, here's what I want you to hold on to. Right there in the text, verse five It says, but I will trust in your steadfast love. Last week we said that is the covenant word in the Bible. It's the word hesed. It's the idea of God's loyal love to you when you and I are not loyal. It's the idea that God's not breaking this promise even if you break the promise, all right? God's not letting you out of his hands even if you let go of his hands. And he's saying, you know what? I'm gonna trust in that. I'm gonna trust in God's unfailing love, his loyal covenant love with me. And the reason they got to put that out there is because we tend to judge God's love for us based on the circumstances that we are currently, present day, what we're going through right now. So if things are going good, man, we're walking in God's favor. And if things are going poorly, man, God must be angry at me. But what he says is he says a, a choice. He says, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Now, he doesn't say when it's going to happen. I actually try to figure out what's he talking about. Is he talking about salvation that he'd done what he'd already done? Or is he talking about what he's going to do when God answers the prayer that he's praying earlier? And the answer that I came up with this week is, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know if he's talking about present or past or future salvation. I'm not sure what he's talking about. But either way, you can look at it and go, you know what he's doing? He's trusting in a good God, God's love, God's security, God's salvation. What he's saying is, I realize that what I possess is more secure than anything that life can take away. All right, here's what you gotta realize. It's not a feeling. It's not a feeling. If I say, be happy, be happy in your pain, that is, that's a dumb statement. It's just a dumb statement, you know? Now, you can try to posture your heart, but the feelings come along way at the end. When somebody's like, you know, be happy, be happy, God's in control, that's a very shallow Christian, all right? Now, you can be hopeful and you can be faithful, but to say be happy and you know, you have this big smile on your face, I mean, the cheesy Christian smile when you are hurting is not some sign of spiritual maturity. 
It's the ability to have faith in spite of the pain. And so what David is doing is I am choosing, I am making a choice to posture my heart in such a way as that I know that God will not abandon me. I know that God will at some point bring salvation to this situation. And it's easy, you can, a hundred different illustrations. I, I, here's what Romans 8.18, I, I still say one of the high points of the 11 years that the Franks have been able to serve with you guys has been probably year two or so, maybe even year one. Some of you were here back then, but what we did is we had a deal called cardboard testimonies and we had all these stories come up over and over and over and over and over and over again. And they had on one side, they're like, here's the pain and then you flipped it over and here's what God's done. Or is God doing? And then we sung that song. I mean, we hadn't sung it in so long because it's kind of old. That, old, that old Crowder song. And part of that Crowder song, when he was sitting there talking about, you know what, he loves me, he loves me, he loves me, was all based on Romans 8.18 that says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. Like, man, I'm not gonna have any regrets. You know why? Because no matter how difficult it is now, God's either gonna answer the prayer here or in the hereafter, but it's definitely gonna get answered. And you know that you can just walk into, suppose you go to the hospital, you're doing a hospital visit, maybe you're a deacon, you're going over there to do a hospital visit and you go into a room and you got two people that are groaning in pain and he's like, man, that pain is intense, that pain is intense. But what emotion does that come and cause to you? You hear somebody groaning in pain in a hospital bed. What emotions come to your mind? I would say that if uh, you realize that that person is, is about to die, then you have some sympathy. You have some emotion toward them and especially the family that might be gathered around the bed as they're dying. But if you go in there and you see that those cries of pain were from a young mom who is in labor and she's about to have a baby, you still hopefully will sympathize somewhat. But the sympathy will be mixed with joy and happiness and celebration. Why? Because you're like, you know what? The glory of the child more than offsets the pain that she is currently going through. And that's what he's saying in Romans. It's like, listen, it's not even worth comparing the way that God is gonna answer. You're like, well, I don't even know if God's gonna answer. How do I know God's gonna answer? Look at the last thing he says. I just put down, remember God's goodness. The way he says it in verse six is a little bit differently. It says, he has dealt bountifully with me. He has dealt bountifully with me. He's compensated me so well, way beyond what I've ever deserved. It's just, God's a good God. And can I just say, so much of your soul health is actually remembering and repeating and even rejoicing in what God has done. What does David say in a different Psalm? He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and do not forget any of his benefits. And he just goes over all this stuff that God had done for him. Forgiveness and deliverance and salvation and rescue and all this stuff. He just went over, it's like God's good, God's good, God's good, God's good. There's another one, Psalm 34, it says, taste and see, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see. He says, I want you to experience the goodness of God, that God is good, God is good all the time. Taste and see. There is a, growing up, uh, with, or when our boys were growing up, we had something in our family called the fry tax, all right? The fry tax. The fry tax is if we went somewhere and they got fries, French fries, then they had to pay a fry tax, all right? Which means dad gets to get some of their French fries. Now, 
That's kind of in the past, but a couple weeks ago, I took some of the young pastors over to Rocky's Chicken, which is amazing. All right, so I take them over there, but I'm kind of doing this low-carb deal, all right? All right I'm kind of, I'm not, you're like, are you keto like Lori? No, I'm ketish. It's like, kind of like, I'm like semi-low-carb, and the way that that actually works itself out is, is at, like at Rocky's, and you can, you can eat good at Rocky's. I mean, you get that roast chicken and and green beans, and, all. and so you can do it. But So I'm with five or six of the young pastors, and they don't care what they eat, man. They just eat junk, junk, junk. Man, they'll bring these crinkle fries, all that stuff. And I'm like, hey, I need to disciple you guys just a little bit, all right? And as an act of discipleship, I need to introduce you to what's called a fry tax, all right? Fry tax, what is this, old pastor? What is this fry tax you speak of? And I was like, boom, and grabbed like four of them, and like, it doesn't count against keto if it's somebody else's fries, all right? So I grabbed that stuff. Threw them down there. It's like, man, taste and see that the crinkle fries are good, all right? They were awesome. They were awesome. God's like, listen, I want you to actually not just talk about it. I want you to experience that God's a good God. He says, I understand God is a good God. I'm going to give you two more. Here's one that has brought us through or is in the process of bringing us through undoubtedly the toughest uh, circumstance that we're navigating as a family. And here's, here's the one I've mentioned to you before, but I want you to listen to it. Listen to it. Listen to it. This is where you are. Psalm 27, 13. Psalm 27, 13. He says, I would have despaired. Now, some of your translations don't have that, but the, all of the translations say, if I did not believe that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I would have despaired if I did not believe that I would see the goodness of the Lord when. When am I going to see that? And understand what he's saying. He's saying, I believe that I will see the goodness of the Lord. I won't just hear about the goodness of the Lord. I won't just see it up on the screens, a testimony about the goodness of the Lord. But I will personally see the goodness of the Lord. And he says, in the land of the living. He says, I know I'm going to see it in heaven. But I'm not talking about heaven right now. I'm not even talking about a front row seat on heaven. He's like, I believe that I will see the goodness of the Lord. I will see it and experience with my own eyes. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Loved ones, that is trusting God with your pain. That's trusting with your pain. That's you hitting your knee and go, God, I believe that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And it's not putting words into God's mouth. It's like, God, I believe I'm gonna see. By faith, I am gonna see that daughter come back home. God, I believe that I'm going to see that career take a better trajectory. God, I believe that I am going to see that husband come to the Lord. God, I believe that I'm going to see the people in my school that they're going to turn and they're going to repent. God, I believe I'm going to see that, not just way out in the future, but I'm going to see that right now in the land of the living. Can you pray like that? I mean, pray like that. You think God's going to go, no, that's too much. that's, That's just too, that's not too much. I promise you, God is not going to go up in heaven going, you are way too emo today, babe. You are way too emo about this. You got to just settle down and pray one of the prayers that I'll print out in the bulletin next time. He's not going to say that. He's not going to say that. You're like, how do you know he's not going to say that? I'll give you one more. 
Psalm 50, verse 15 says, call upon me. Listen to this. Call upon me in the day of trouble. Let me say it again. Call upon me is not just some nice little flowery, timid little prayer that, well, God, if according to your will and, you know, if maybe if this happens and you're not too possibly, if you're not too busy and, you know, that's not calling on the Lord. That's not. That's not even honoring to God to think God up in heaven actually can't handle stuff over in Ethiopia while he listens to you in Western North Carolina. He can and he does and he hears. The question is not about God's hearing. The question is about you and I praying. That's the question. And he says, I, he says, call on me. Listen to the way the, he says, call on me. Call on me. Cry out to me in your day of trouble. That's today. That's what's on that 21 days. Call to me about that deal. Call to me about that husband. Call to me about that prodigal. Call to me about that pain. And he says this, and he says, and I will deliver you and you will glorify me. Can you imagine what this region would be like if you had everybody at Biltmore Church cry out to God over the number one thing in their life, God delivers them, God answers that prayer, and then we start to give him glory for what he did. Can you imagine how different Facebook would be? Is if on Facebook all during the next few weeks, instead about this or the other thing, or this candidate or this politics or whatever, it was just stories of, you know what, God brought my husband home. Or if it was, you know what, my, my daughter, my daughter wants to come back. Praise God, I got an awesome report from the doctor. Hey, I got a great job. Hey, my teenager came to Christ. Call on me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you will glorify me. Jesus says, my house will be called a house of prayer. It'll be a house of prayer. It'll be a house of prayer. He said, cry, you don't even know how to pray? He said, just throw your arms up. Just, if you don't even know how to do anything but groan, just throw your arms up. Throw your arms up and just cry out. 